right, what is up everyone? This is the Browns Note Podcast. Welcome back. It has been quite a while since our last episode. Technically, this would be episode 24. We're going to try and get it up and running and consistently doing so during this 2015 season. This is Ryan Burns coming to you from Dog Pound West in Orange County, California, joined by a good friend, my man Brendan Leister from out in Ohio. How you doing out there, man? Doing good, man. Just coaching. Uh, just started grad school, so I'm teaching a few classes, taking classes. I'm very busy right now. Hey, How we, are you doing? We're okay. It's you know, it's it's pre-work hour for me, so uh, we had to find. It was much easier to find time when you were just a college student and had only that to worry about. And you have indeed, in a in a couple short years, managed to peck out for yourself quite a little life. You've got all kinds of crap going on that uh, that is impressive and fun and uh, is sure to keep you from being fully studied up at all times. But but let's talk about our Browns anyway. Um, as I said, we, we were not able to do it toward the tail end of last year, uh, keep the podcast rolling. I, I, I'm sure we'll keep it rolling this year. I'm not sure exactly you know, what the format's going to be and whether it'll be you and me every time or not. But we're, we're going to talk a lot of Browns football. And as I look at this season, you know, I, what I'm trying to do is keep in mind both realities from 2014 as I project into 2015. And what I, what I mean by that is, look, I think when you look at what to expect from the Browns this year, you have to be aware that not only did they lose those last, you know, five games in a row and, and look awfully bad doing it in 2014, let's not forget that prior to that they were 7-4 and four and they were doing some good things. Like, I'm not going to go overboard with it, they were, you know, they had a couple of really, really encouraging performances. The, you know, obviously the beatdown of the Steelers was particularly fun. Uh, but there were a lot of good things, I thought, in year one coming out of the, you know, what we saw from, from the Pettin staff. And, you know, look, I see the same questions that anybody else would see about this team looking at 2015. But frankly, I, I, I'm not looking for this team to go to the playoffs or make a deep run to the playoffs. So again, I find myself in what I'll grant is not necessarily the best familiar territory, but at least I can be aware of what I'm watching this season. When I say, I I see a lot of things that they're building on that are good. I think the personnel on the team is substantially improved. So that's where I maybe disagree with a lot of Browns fans is I think what, what Farmer has done on the whole, even though I would criticize some of those moves, particularly, you know, you got to look at last year's first round and wonder how that's all going to shake out. But on the whole, you know, the, the amount of turnover that they have created in a year and the kind of changes that they have caused to the roster to me, all that stuff seems like it's trending pretty positively. Would you agree with that? Yeah, I would agree. I think, um, you know, Farmer and Pedden seem to have a vision for the roster. It seems like they're on the same page to me just based on some of the moves that they've made, you know, like in the first round this year, for example, taking Cam Irving, taking Danny Shelton. I think both guys want to build the team from the inside out. I think that's a smart way of going about it. Um, I think they've done a good job of up, upgrading the roster, as you said. Um, so, yeah, so I would agree with you. Uh, I, I liked a lot of the things they've done. I think it's an important thing to remember about last year. Um, last year's offseason was just that the group didn't really have a lot of time together before that before the draft, before free agency. I mean, they hadn't been together long. You know, it seemed like Pedden and Farmer were kind of working out some kinks throughout the entire year, even last season and probably into this offseason. I think they were ever, they were always trying to get on the same page. 
And uh, that's kind of just the reality of it whenever a guy gets hired and then, you know, the guy that hired him gets fired right after that and they kind of just get thrown together. Um, you know, Farmer and Petten, that was kind of the way it went. So I think that's just the way it's going to be that way. And it, um, it's refreshing to see that I think they're on the same page, but the team's going to have to win some games if they want to, you know, stick around, it seems. So we'll yeah. see how it goes. Yeah, you know, there, that that is certainly to me where the rubber meets the road on whether any of this is going to work is, you know, I, I'm a believer that all this stuff starts at the top. And so while I share a lot of the frustration with sort of the chaos that has occurred in the first couple of years of Jimmy Haslam's reign here. I think it's important to at least have the perspective that, number one, the first group he fired wasn't his group, and so we shouldn't look at that as some bastion of instability. Now, he then hires Chud and Banner and Lombardi, and those guys are all gone within a year. I, I, that's a red flag. That That is a circus act kind of move, and it, it's, you know, I, I, I'm as concerned about that as you could be. Uh, you look at the way that first draft went, and like you say, number one, those, that group didn't have much time together. Number two, it appears, at least by the, the report, you know, the reporting that came out at the time, and, and the general sense of that, how that first draft went, was that the first round was, you know, partially Haslam influenced and partially Petten influenced in terms of, you know, uh, Justin Gilbert. And those things happen in the NFL. I think the, the bigger picture thing is to look at the trend on the whole. And you look at all the things that came out of last year. You look at some of the guys that have already clearly made um, what appears to be a big impact on the overall team um, from, a, from an on-paper standpoint and, and appear to be like a Danny Shelton, for example. All, all systems go. As a, as a starter heading into his first year. So I think there are things to be looking up about. And, and I just, my, my take on it is to just wait and see. I mean, look, it's been two years. I know we're in the habit around here of deciding that, okay, if we're not fully turned around in year two or year three, then obviously everybody needs to go and nobody has an idea what they're doing. I would just caution everyone that I heard a lot of that from Steelers fans in, say, the mid-90s when Cower wasn't getting it done and a year or two later he's in the Super Bowl. And you could tell me, yeah, that's the Steelers. Well, the Browns were better than the Steelers for a good chunk of time before that. Um, it just wasn't consistent and permanent. And the reason it wasn't consistent and permanent is because these changes started happening over and over and over. And obviously, uh, Modell moving the team, that just throws a whole monkey wrench into it because you're starting over. And since they started over, all they've done is make these changes. So I'm personally hopeful that what they do is just suck it up, continue with the plan, and see it through, because I, I'm more than persuaded that Petten knows what he's doing. I, I would grant you I need to see a little more from Ray Farmer, but I like the direction that the team is going in general. And so I, I, I'm hopeful that this season will, will show progress, because, look, I don't think any of us expect Josh McCown to come in and light the world on fire. I think we expect this team to probably finish fourth in the division, which is going to happen when the other three teams all made the playoffs last year and could just as easily do so this year. So... With all that, let's, uh, let's go ahead and look at the roster a little bit before we jump ahead and start thinking about the Jets for this week. As, as I look at this team, like you said, they're built inside out. I mean, and on the offensive side of the ball, I don't think there's any way around the conclusion that the offensive line is not only the strength of the team, um, but, but maybe 
all they really have going for them on the offensive side of the ball. We'll, we'll talk a little bit about every group, but let's let's do the the strength up front. I mean, with Thomas, with with Alex Mack back, the difference between the team uh, last year before he got hurt and after was so night and day. Uh, to me, having that group back in that same continuity and having added to the depth with a talented kid like Cameron Irving, um, look, I'll say what should have been said last year. If one of those big guys goes down, they're still in trouble. It's going to be just as hard. Um, but I like what they did to address the depth question. And quite frankly, I'm excited as hell to have everybody back and healthy. Yeah, I'm with you. Um, a friend of mine that I coach with actually always says that a great O-line makes the offensive coordinator look good. And he's our offensive line coach, so he's a little biased. He was a center, but I think that he's right. If you have a great offensive line, it's going to make your entire offense look a lot better than it should. And I think that's the way that it might be with the Browns a little a little bit. Um, you saw it last year early in the season. You know, everybody was criticizing the skill positions for the Browns, you know, the receivers, um, tight end. You know, Jordan Cameron was in and out in the, of the lineup. Brian Hoyer was kind of a journeyman. He was, you know, he had a little bit of success a couple of years ago, but that was just in his first couple starts. So nobody really knew what they were getting, but – then the offensive line really dominated the people in the run game. It set up the play action game. And so I think we'll see the same types of game plans this year. I mean, I know that Kyle Shanahan's not around anymore, but I think John Filippo is going to have the same type of idea, you know, for this offense. He's going to adjust to his personnel. I think we might see a little bit more um, gap scheme running game with the power and counter and, you know, stuff like that. But um, I think that, for the most part, it's going to be a zone scheme, and I think they're going to run the zone a lot, inside, outside zone. I'm interested to see how Andy Moeller, you know, his situation right now, I'm interested to see how that impacts the team because, you know, when you're in the middle of a game and you need to make an adjustment, it's a lot easier for the guy that's always communicating with the line to make it than, you know, maybe the other guy or somebody that's not as familiar with it. Um, I actually went to a coach's clinic in February and saw um, George DeLeon, who's their assistant O-line coach, and he's extremely smart. Andy Moeller was actually in the back of the room during the clinic, but um, but I have a lot of confidence in George DeLeon. But still, I mean, that uh, Andy Moeller being out, I think that might be a big deal. I mean, we'll see how it plays out during the season. But, but at the same time, though, I think the talent is there on the offensive line, and I really like the way that they upgraded the depth with Cam Irving. Um, you know, his versatility, his talent. I think he has all the talent in the world for an offensive lineman. So um, I'm really excited about the, that part of the team. Yeah, I think the versatility you mentioned with Irving was really the thing that probably put him over the top when they were deciding, okay, are we taking this guy or are we going after a wide receiver we like or what are we doing here? Uh, I bet you – the ability to put that guy at three, four, five, maybe even different spots means, I mean, he's not really going to be, I don't think, ever needed at, at two or three of them. But um, to, to be able to have a guy there that should someone go down is a competent or better NFL lineman uh, as a rookie would be, would be something else. And then I think, obviously, you know, he was a selection with an eye towards a year from now when you, you might lose Alex Mack and you might lose Mitchell Schwartz and you might want to lose Mitchell Schwartz. I don't know. So we'll see how they, we'll see how they, they play that. But it's always better to have six good linemen than four. So I like where they're at now. Um, and like you said, I think it's going to be interesting to see kind of what the change from Shanahan to Flip is. Um, 
One more thing I'd mention about De Leon, who you mentioned. I, I think what I read yesterday is get, the main difference now is they're going to bring him down from the booth onto the sideline to, to basically spell Moeller and, and to you know work that communicative angle. So I, I think what you probably lose there is an offensive line-minded set of eyes up in the booth more than anything because it sounds like De Leon mm -hmm. is somebody they trust to do the, the communicating on the field. Um, but you're right. It's never good when one of your coaches, who obviously you, you think is important, the offensive line coach, is suddenly gone. And that, that situation, of course, is disturbing. And frankly, that's not what we're here to talk about. But I, obviously, I think we would both just say it's disturbing and we want no part of that. So let's, let's hope that, uh, yeah, the justice system works itself out that way. Uh, with respect to the rest of the offense, as you look at the pass catching. You mentioned it last year. There was all of this kind of same noise about how, oh my God, we didn't take Sam and Watkins, and oh my God, we didn't take whoever else. And as an aside, yes, I sure would like to have Odell Beckham Jr. on my team. So let's just concede that point. But um, <clears throat> the the pass catching group that was much maligned last year, frankly, played pretty well. You know, look, they do lack in my mind that truly explosive, dangerous every play kind of guy. But most of these guys are capable of making big plays. Travis Benjamin can leave someone with his speed. Um, the same can be said, frankly, of Hawkins' quickness. You know, these guys can all play. It's not like they're crap receivers. And so as you look around the group, I, I mean, look, like I say, Josh Gordon's not there. We're lacking that huge monster, number one dominant receiver. But so were teams that were in the Super Bowl last year. So when you look at this group and you look at the way the team's constructed, what, what are you hoping to get out of them, you know, besides just, you know, moving the chains? Basically with the way that the offense is constructed right now, with the O-line they have, the running backs they have, the quarterback, you know, everything, you know, the tight ends, the wide receivers, everything, all together. What I want to see is guys that can separate and I think they have that. I think Hartline, Hawkins, Gabriel, Benjamin, those are all guys that can separate. Hopefully Dwayne Bowe, you know, maybe he'll figure this out. I don't know what's going on with him with the injuries and everything. But um, hopefully, hopefully the ability to separate. And Let me just tell you, hopefully Terrell, hopefully Pryor, hopefully Terrell Pryor makes as smooth a transition as Braxton Miller has. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, absolutely. But um but, yeah, so the ability to separate, especially in uh, tight quarters, I think that's huge. You know, you saw it a little bit in the preseason where, you know, the quick passing game, you know, West Coast staples, you know, they're running, like, stick. They're running, you know, um, some boot action plays, um, getting McCown out of the pocket to throw on the run, short, quick timing passing game. I think that's going to be huge. The wide receivers have to be able to separate quickly, get off press, um, I think they have guys that can do that. Um, the other thing is just being able to catch the ball. I think all the guys I mentioned can all, you know, catch the ball consistently. I'm not really worried about any of those guys dropping the ball regularly. Um, and then other than that, the biggest concern I have with the receiver group is just kind of the yards after the catch. Um, I don't view Brian Hartline as a guy that's going to create many yards after the catch. Um, I know that Andrew Hawkins, I mean, obviously he's very good at it. I think Taylor Gabriel is too. But at the same time, though, um, they're not the most physical guys. They're not really going to break any tackles. And also, you know, when you look at the group, there's not a lot of size. If Dwayne Bowe, you know, it depends on his role. I kind of expect him to start, to be honest, even though he's so third on the depth chart or whatever. So do I, yeah, because so, he can block. 
and but, he, does, he blocks. Yeah. Um, let, me, yeah let, let me ask you this. I mean, they're going to need guys. Yeah. Yeah, let me, let me ask you this. Uh, yeah. As you look at that group, you know, one of the things mm-hmm. that has been sort of controversial the last couple of weeks is the decision to cut Lens and not sign him to the practice squad and all that mm-hmm. in, in favor of whoever else you want to say it's in favor of. But let's acknowledge that Terrell Pryor has a roster spot on a 53-man roster and has never played this position before and didn't play in the preseason. That's an awful lot of faith to put in what I would grant anyone is unbelievable athleticism and, and, and those kinds of traits. And like you said, they don't have any size, so if he were to hit, that would be a big help. But what do you, what do you, number one, what do you think of the decision? And then what do you make of the decision from sort of a philosophical standpoint when you look at what they say they want? I think that they probably feel like they have a bunch of guys that are like Lens, you know, complementary pieces. I think Hawkins, Gabriel, Benjamin, all those guys that kind of give you similar things to what Lens would give you. They're all. You know, they have some explosiveness. They're able to separate in tight quarters. They can catch the ball, you know, consistently. So I think Lens kind of just gives you all the same things they do in a way, and there's not a ton of upside. You don't expect Lens to be some big mismatch someday. I don't see that guy ever being a difference maker. You know what I'm saying? Where with Terrell Pryor, um, that's a huge guy that I think, you know, he was playing outside a lot in the preseason, but I think he could be best in the slot actually as a mismatch over the middle because, you know, linebackers aren't going to be able to run with him. Safeties aren't going to be able to either probably. And then also, I mean, if they try to put a corner on him, you know, a slot, a nickel guy, you know, in the slot, that's another mismatch because he's just too big, too physical. And I trust Pryor's ball skills from everything I've heard. I mean, when you think about quarterbacks, it's hard to really worry about a guy's catching ability because he, the quarterback's probably played catch his entire life, right. you know, made, made lots of crazy catches, you know, his entire life. So I'm not really worried about his catching ability. He has to prove that he can separate. But once the ball's in his hands, he's going to be the most dynamic threat after the catch on the whole team, in my opinion. That's just the yeah, way that and, I view and him. There him are, and Duke Johnson. There are ways to just get him the damn football, right? I mean, they're just going to do exactly. that stuff. Yeah. Yeah. I think so. I think that within the next few weeks, I think that Hill will become a big part of the offense as long as he can stay healthy. I just think that they seem to view him in that way. You know, they were using him in a wildcat in that last preseason game. Well, and look, dynamic. look, Josh Gordon and, didn't have any idea what he was doing when he got here. He'd played wide receiver in college, but yep. let's, let's be real. He was not executing at a high level as an NFL wide receiver when he was putting up ridiculous numbers just catching little crossers and running all the way downfield with them. So you can do some of that, I think, with a Terrell Pryor. And I do think he will understand, um, by virtue of having played quarterback, I think he, he will have an idea of how to sort of get open and finesse zones and that sort of thing. I would, I would think there would be some advantage to that. So I'm intrigued as hell by it. I just thought it was interesting that a team that seems so hell-bent on meat and potatoes took a chance like this on a guy like Terrell Pryor rather than, you know, why aren't we drafting wide receivers if we're going to take a shot like this? You know what I mean? Yeah, I know what you mean. But, I mean, they did take Vince Maley, who yeah, I think that worked he out has pretty some well. talent. But, <laughs> yeah, I know. Exactly. They did draft him, though. I mean, they did spend a fourth on him. And right. I know a, a guy that I respect, I'll, I'll say this, more than anybody yeah. when it comes to football. I know what you're going to say. honestly respect Emory this Hunt. guy. Emory Hunt. Yeah. He compares uh, Vince Maley to Brandon Marshall. So, 
and and Emery watches more football than anybody I know. He knows, you know, no doubt. CFL, AFL, NFL, whatever. So, he knows everybody I mean, I respect from the, the heck out of his opinion. Yeah, we we've had him on the exactly. Football Sickness podcast a couple of times, and he's always one of my favorite guys to talk to because he knows everybody from every school all over the country. Like he'll come on yep. and tell you about diamonds in the rough from nowhere. So yeah, I, I'm with you. Like, look. People in the NFL get it wrong all the time. And so they got that one wrong, it would appear. And maybe they didn't even get it wrong, mm-hmm. but maybe they took him, you know, before they knew they had Terrell Pryor. And maybe they took him, you know, oh, yeah. you know there were all kinds of things that changed. And so, I, you know, whatever. It, it went Definitely. badly and you can't look at it as anything but a failed draft pick. But um, ultimately yeah, the goal is to have a good... I, I view it that way too. Yeah, ultimately the goal is to have a good roster. So we'll, we'll see how that shakes out. Yeah. Um, how about the running game? I assume they are going to build the offense around this. You know, it's interesting the way they've played it with the backs, having traded Terrence West, another, you know, you have to look at that as another failed draft pick. But now that means, at least by all appearances, that Isaiah Crowell is going to get every opportunity to be sort of a bell cow back here. And Duke Johnson's going to get a lot of touches on his own. So I, I look at this and I think back to the way the Saints used to play Everybody thinks of the Saints teams because of Drew Brees and all the throwing, but they were dominant on the ground and in the screen game. They were running the ball all over people. They were throwing little screen passes and letting uh, Pierre Thomas get 30 yards or Darren Sproles get 30 yards a pop, just gashing people on that stuff. I would think that the way they have constructed this, they intend to try and do some of that. Yeah, I agree with you. Um, Like I said before, you know, quick passing game. I think that now – flips here and it's not Shanahan because Shanahan never passed to the backs I think now they're going to try to get the backs you know out in space get them the ball that's why they brought in Duke Johnson I mean that's not the only reason but that's a big reason why in my opinion you know he's just so dynamic in the pass game um Isaiah Crowell um I think he has some flaws he, he might not be as good as I expected him to be whenever they signed him as an undrafted free agent you know I when I watched him in college, I really saw a huge upside. I didn't see the same flaws that I see now. Um, when it comes to vision and patience, you know, sometimes he likes to just run up on his offensive line's heels, and that's that's kind of dangerous because that's how you get offensive linemen hurt. Um, but whenever he's on and he sees what's there and he hits the hole hard, you know, I mean, that dude is zero to a hundred like in a blink of an eye, and I I really. I have a respect for the way that Crowell runs the ball. It's just some of the flaws are there, you know, like I mentioned. But at the same time, though, those aren't flaws that are going to make him, you know, fail or anything like that. I think he's a good player. He's a good running back. And he has a chance to really have a lot of production this year, especially behind this offensive line. Um, Duke Johnson, I mean, I think Duke Johnson is extremely talented as a runner and a receiver. I mean, he has a very good feel for the zone game. Um, he's, he's very shifty and quick. He's able to just cut on a dime and, you know, get north south quickly. So I think he's going to be a very good fit for the offense. Um, I actually think he's more talented than Crowell, to be honest. I just don't, I don't see the same flaws with him in his game that I do with Crowell. But the problem with Duke is just, can he stay healthy? He didn't stay healthy in the preseason. And, you know, now we're expecting him to stay healthy for 16 games. So he needs to do that. But I think he had the threat that they haven't had at the running back position in a long time. Um, you know, I think back actually now, because, you know, Deion Lewis is about to have a role for New England. I think back a few years ago, 
I expected Deion Lewis yeah, has a huge role really for the team. Then he broke his leg. <laughs> yeah. yeah, and and I think Duke Johnson kind of brings the element that he would have brought. You know, more than that. I mean, he's a better player than Deion Lewis, but you know what I mean. Yeah. They, they haven't really had a change of pace back like this. Uh, yeah, a guy, a guy can that remember, can take it to the I'm house young. on any given play. Right. Yeah. They, yeah. They've they've really exactly. lacked that explosive element in the backfield, and and I hope Duke can stay healthy. I got to say, I'm worried about it because. Number one, we're Browns fans, and we've seen it happen all too often where the guy that we need to stay healthy can't freaking stay healthy. So let, let's all just throw positive signs into the air for that one and finish off the offensive side of the ball as we talk about the quarterback. I mean, we haven't gotten too much into the tight ends. I think we all know they're going to be pretty involved. They're going to have to be. They've got a bunch of guys um, that are just kind of solid players. I like, I like what I saw from E.J. Bibbs, the undrafted free agent. Um, real athletic guy. I, th- I think he's he's probably the most potentially dynamic threat they have at that position. So I, I'm excited to see how they work him in. Obviously, it's going to be a learning curve. He's not going to be able to just walk in and dominate. There's a reason he was undrafted and all that. But if you can scheme him into some catches, I think he's a guy that can can do some damage for you. Let's let's do talk about the quarterbacks though. Um, <laughs> we're back where we started. Uh, you know, obviously Manziel had the off season that he had. Um, but I think we would all have to agree that the preseason, if nothing else, was at least encouraging and that he looked like a guy who was aware that he's supposed to be operating as an NFL quarterback. I agree with the decision to basically squash any notion of a competition, even in favor of Josh McCown, who I grant anybody who wants to argue with me. I'll just tell you, I don't think he's any good. No, he's not. I do think he was probably the best option the Browns had this year. There was, unless you wanted to give up a whole bunch and go up and get Marcus Mariota, which, you know, I probably would have criticized giving up too much for. Had you been up higher and been able to get him for a little less, yeah, I'd have thought about it. But it was, it was sounding like the package to get him was awfully, awfully big. And no, I wouldn't have done that. And you know why? Because I can see what's happening in D.C. right now. I don't want any part of that. And so, you know, look. No, Josh McCown is not leading this team to the Super Bowl, but I think he can be a lot better in Cleveland than he was in Tampa. I'm not telling you he's going to come out and light the world on fire like he did for that six-week stretch in Chicago. I think we're somewhere in between there. But I think he can be better than Brian Hoyer was down the stretch last year. And with a little bit better quarterback than Brian Hoyer and Johnny Manziel were down the stretch, maybe this team wins nine games, right? So... um, The way I look at the quarterback position is they got a little bit better and more consistent. They're not very good, and, yeah. and so that's where it is. Yeah, I agree with you. I think that they have a little bit better of a quarterback situation now than they did last year. When you take into account, you know, Mandel, his baby steps, his his improvements that he seems to have made in the off season. Um, you know, it seems like he knows what he's looking at now. At least he knows what he's doing. You know, his feet looked a lot better in the preseason than they did last year, and I think. When it comes to quarterbacks, you know, if your mind and your eyes, if they're right, then your feet will more than likely be right. I think your feet and your eyes are completely intertwined as a quarterback, and I think we saw that with Manziel Um, last year. He was just a mess from the feet up, and I think that's because he didn't know what he was looking at because he wasn't prepared. Um, When it comes to McCown, I think he's a more accurate passer than Hoyer by far. You saw it this preseason. I mean, people kind of forget what last preseason looked like that was a mess, the quarterback situation. You know, Hoyer, Manziel, they were splitting reps. Hoyer wasn't prepared. Manziel wasn't prepared. Hoyer was missing easy throws. I remember him missing this, you know, this throw down the seam to, I think, Miles Austin that was wide open. Um, 
I know the McCown, Hoyer was downright know, awful in the preseason last year. He was terrible exactly. in the preseason. We were all sitting here yep. <laughs> giving credence to the idea that maybe Manziel ought to be the starter. And the reason we were doing that was because, my God, Hoyer looked like just total trash. And then they came out and he was, you know, he wasn't total trash. He was pretty bad, but it was a lot better than it had looked in the preseason. Yeah, absolutely. And, and I think that the run game, the play action game covered up the mistakes he was making as well, like once the regular season hit, as well as some dropped interceptions. You know, we've, I think we've both seen um, the charts on Twitter by, I think, what's his name, Cian Fahey. I think he's done a lot of that stuff. And he said Hoyer should have had something like 30-something interceptions last year for the defenses that actually catch the ball. But they kept dropping them and kept just throwing it up there. But anyway, that's besides the point. Um, I think McCown, you know, he's an upgrade. He's a more athletic guy, too. You know, much more. I think we saw that in the preseason. Some of the plays that he can make with his feet. He's very athletic for a, for an older quarterback. Um, he has a stronger arm than Hoyer. Uh, he's able to drive the ball down the field a little better. But when it comes to you know under pressure, sometimes Hoyer or sometimes McCown, he's just gonna throw the ball up. And you know we saw that one of those times. I remember I texted you. Uh, he threw that interception. He just chucked it up in the air to Travis Benjamin. And they picked it off. I texted you. I was like. Manziel now you know that's right. that's the kind of stuff that sometimes happens with Josh McCown where oh he's I mean, going to make did the same type of thing sure. but, yeah they're, but yeah they're just exactly throw it up. that's There's the thing no with McCown yeah and that's and that's the things that could kill this team but at the same time though you can make the same argument that Hoyer did those types of things last year and it didn't cost them games until late in the season, of course, when the run game wasn't there and those things. So yeah. if they can run the ball. The idea is to put him in positions where he doesn't have schedule. to make those kinds of decisions, right? The idea is we're going to run yeah. the ball like crazy. We're going to run some play action. We're going to run defined read stuff, and we're going to hope you throw it away instead of late down the middle. <laughs> I mean, that's it. Yeah, of course. Yeah, and I think another thing, too, is it's important to remember that he has experience with flip in the past. You know, I know it was a while ago that he coached him, but um, they've been together before. I think McCown knows this system very well. And Hoyer was in his first year in the West Coast offense last year, I'm pretty sure. I mean, he didn't have experience in that system. He had been with Belichick, you know, Bill O'Brien. He had been with Chud and North Turner. And then he, um, you know, last year he was with Shanahan, which is the West Coast system. So this year, you know, this is another West Coast system, but um, obviously Hoyer is not there. So that was his first year in the system. Now this is McCown. He's been in the system for a while. You know, he knows it. So I think that's going to help him when it comes to getting the ball to the right spot at the right time, those things, which I think kind of cost them some games late, late in ball games. Um, you know, that experience for a quarterback, just getting the ball in the right spot at the right time really can, you know, win or lose your games. Yep. So no um, doubt. I think McCown can do enough to get them, you know, um, seven, eight, nine wins. You know, the schedule looks a lot harder to me this year, but we'll see what happens on the field. So I yeah. feel a little better than I did last year, but I don't feel great about it at all by any stretch. Yeah. Uh, the guy you were referencing, his name, uh, because I've gone back and forth with him on this, he's Irish, and so the spelling is a little different, but it's it's pronounced Kean, like Ian with a K. Uh, Kean Fahey on Twitter, he's... Uh, He's, he's done a lot of work with a number of different outlets, but uh, he does a lot of work particularly on defensive backs and then quarterbacks. Uh, and, yeah, he, he, he did some rather 
enlightening work on Hoyer and McCown in terms of, you know, interceptable passes and that stuff's all, you know, it's all, it's subjective and objective at the same time. And I always find all of it interesting, mm-hmm. you know, even, even where I disagree with people on certain conclusions. Um, and I certainly did not disagree with Kean on these, um, it, you know, it, it, it's always useful to me to look at stuff from different angles. And so anyway, that, that, that was that let's talk about the defensive side of the ball here before we get to the jets. To me, the biggest thing they did this offseason was really attack that defensive line. And, and, and frankly, the entire front seven, you know, they went and got Danny Shelton, who was the guy that we had to have, the nose tackle that by all accounts and by all appearances so far is the absolute solution to that position. I couldn't be more excited about it. And uh, the additions also of Xavier Cooper and Mr. Starks appear to have really improved that group just from a you know, a toughness and a penetration standpoint, they look, I don't know, it's preseason, so I'm not going to get over my skis here, but there's no question but that Shelton can be, to me, a a really top-notch player at that position, and and to me, everything funnels out from there, because if if on downs one and two, you can't just gash our, our defensive front, then everything that they have built in the back end with all those guys that people are calling one of the better secondaries in the league... You know, that becomes a whole hell of a lot more useful. Yeah, I agree with you. I mean, I think you saw two things in the offseason. They really upgraded the toughness and the athletic ability of the defensive line. And this year, I think they're going to have, uh, I don't know the exact number, seven or eight legitimate defensive linemen now, like NFL caliber guys. As were last year, you know, there was the, um, I mean, some of the names, who was it? Sione Fuwa. That guy was playing late in the year. I mean, I know that they had some injuries. I mean, at top of roof, and I think that guy was really at the end, and he was hurt a lot. I mean, Phil Taylor, I know he played decent amount early in the season, but I, uh, as time went on, I never thought much of Phil Taylor. I mean, when they first drafted him, I had some high hopes, but as time went on, it just the writing was kind of on the wall that he wasn't a great – like, I just don't think he had the position. So, um yeah, I really see upgrades. I mean, I'm a big Danny Shelton fan. Anybody that follows me on Twitter knows that just from what I said about him before the draft. And you know, I wrote a scouting report on him before the draft. I, I just, I'm a huge fan of his. I think he has a chance to be a different difference maker. He can push the pocket. Um, he, he has a motor that never stops running, which is incredible for a guy his size. He understands leverage. He knows how to use his hands. And, I mean, he, he played, I think, the third most snaps in college football for a defense, defensive lineman last year at 914, which would have ranked him second in the NFL behind Dontari Poe. So that just tells you that's a guy that's going to play his heart out, you know, every snap and, you know, keep going all game long as long as they have him on the field. So I think he'll play a lot less than that this year, but that should equal a lot more you know, efficiency and production because he won't be so worn down um xavier cooper um it'll be interesting to see how much we see him early on i think because they just have so many guys on the d-line right now but i'll be interested to see who the d-linemen or two that they use on passing downs are because i think he has a chance to break into that mix because i'm pretty certain that oh, yeah. you know armani bryant is very in that mix desmond bryant in that mix uh, i think john hughes should be i mean i know that he's not known as a great pass rusher but the way that he uses his hands and defeats blocks, I mean, I think he has a chance to really 
get after the quarterback from the interior. So Xavier Cooper's kind of in that mix. Um, and he, he, you know, he has a great first step. Um, he has great hand use, which allows him to overcome his shortcomings when it comes to length. I mean, when you watch him play, he doesn't have great length, but he overcomes it with his hand use. And he has a really great motor, too. So I'm excited about those guys. And then Randy Starks. I mean, I honestly expected John Hughes to start over him at three technique, but I'm excited to see Starks. Um, I think he, he brings a little bit as a pass rusher. He's kind of declined as a run defender the past few years. But um, as long as he can just kind of get in the gap and, you know, control the control the B gap, um, and he's not going to be two gapping or anything like that. But as long as he can control the B gap, get upfield, you know, wreak havoc a little bit in the backfield, I think that's that's all they're really asking from Randy Starks as well as the leadership. So I'm excited about what they've added to the defensive line overall. And let's talk pass rush. Look, I think we know the secondary is going to be awfully good. Um, hopefully there will be a little de- development from the young guys. Hopefully Gilbert, you know, comes along a little bit. Hopefully Desir gets healthy because, frankly, I thought he was playing pretty well. Uh, so it would be nice to see that group uh, continue to flourish. I, I loved bringing in uh, Tremont Williams from Green Bay. He's somebody I've always admired, just the way he played the game. And so I think that's just another one of those guys like Dansby, like Whitner, that's going to come into that defensive room and, and really just, you know, he's, he's just another voice and another example of how to do things the right way for a group that has a lot, a lot of young, really super talented players that if they are able to harness that and start doing it the right way, you know, they, they can have a hell of a group for a long time. So this all goes to sort of the culture change that Petten has been talking about having to create. You know, he said when he, not all that long ago, he said, look, the fastest way to change the culture is to change the people. And they've really changed the people in a, in a pretty big hurry. And I like the culture that they're attempting to establish. So I hope they're able to continue doing so. Um, but the pass rush, before we finish this up and go to the Jets, the addition of Nate Orchard, you know, they've got some guys that needed to be healthy, frankly. Um, I, I wonder whether I'm not hearing sort of the rumblings that, look, we don't actually think Mingo is going to be much of a pass rusher ever. Uh, it feels like that's what I'm starting to hear, that, that they're looking at mm-hmm. him more as a, as a coverage linebacker, which is a huge deal. You've got to have that, and obviously – that's not why he was drafted number six overall. I'm wondering um, how you view their pass rush overall, and if you've got a couple of guys you want to specifically hit on, go ahead. Because I, I wonder kind of I, – I know they have the skills, but you can't have them all on the field at the same time. And so I wonder sort of are we just scheming guys to run free or what's really – how do we expect to get to the opposing quarterback this year? Um. You know, they have two outside linebacker positions. One is the rush. That's what they call it, rush linebacker. That is what Paul Kruger plays. And then their other is Sam, and that's what Mingo plays. You know, so the Sam backer in their scheme is more of the cover guy. He's lined up across from the tight end. He's got to get hands on the tight end. Um, you know, over the curl flat, dropping coverage. Um, I think they'll, uh, when it comes to the usage, um, I think that they're going to try to get mismatches for Mingo whenever they blitz him off the edge. I think they'll try to scheme him up so that he's free because we've all seen how tremendous of an athlete he is. Um, I'll be interested to see if he improves as a rusher with the shoulder healthy and everything. You know, I'm, I'm kind of with you. I'm starting to, you know, buy into that idea. You know, you, everybody knows how, lo- how much I loved him. I mean, at least the people that follow me on Twitter I mean, they know how much I loved him coming out of college. He was my top player in that class. But 
Uh, it looks now like that class wasn't all that great at the top to begin with. Um, but I think it'll be interesting to see how much he improves as a rusher, but I think they'll really try to scheme him up and get him free. Um, you know, going north and, north and south toward the quarterback because it doesn't seem like they have a lot of confidence in his ability to defeat blocks with moves, with his hands. Um, you know, well, setting his, up his growth moves, has been stunted like that. in that regard. So I, I would, you know, look, exactly. the injuries have hurt him, but then again, you look in, at his body and you think, well, maybe that was just part of the risk. So, you know, I, I'm hopeful he'll he'll grow up. How about to, not grow up? That's too negative. I'm hopeful he will continue to improve as a player and, and specifically in the pass rush area because he's pretty damn good at yeah. the rest of the game. So I, I'm not complaining about him as a player, but I'd sure like to I get agree. more get more yep. out of him as a pass rusher. How about uh, how about the addition of Orchard? Orchard, um, you know, I, I honestly never took a ton of time to study Orchard just before the draft and everything, and even in the time after the draft because I've been so busy. But I do know, I mean, he knows how to use his hands, um, and then he's an okay athlete off the edge. I mean, he's not the guy that's going to – I mean, he's not going to blow anybody away with his athleticism like a guy like Mingo can. But No, he's a I motor mean, guy. He had, yeah. what, eight – yeah, exactly. Motor guy. He knows how to use his hands. That's important. You know, I think he has a good feel for defeating blocks from what I've seen, which is very important, obviously. He kind of has a nose for getting to the quarterback, I think, and that's probably what they loved about him because, you know, they're very high on guys' with production, as we saw with him, you know, well, really with all the guys that they've drafted so far, even in the first draft. So um, I think, you know, he, he learned Sam in the – preseason they had him playing there a lot but I honestly think in long term he's going to be more of a rush linebacker where they're not going to drop him in coverage quite as much as you know they do with Mingo for example but right. until Mingo gets healthy and proves that you know he can be more than a reserve because if he's not healthy he can't be counted on consistently then I think Orchard might get some time at that spot but long term I think he's best at the rush and uh and you know he's a good he has a good guy to learn from in Paul Kruger, who I'm a big fan of. Yeah, so. I'm, I'm excited about this defense. They've got a nice group put together. I think they've got more of their type of guys than they've had in a while. And, I, I, you know, again, the, the caveat that always is true in football is let's hope we can stay healthy because it's a, it's a team that can do some damage uh, on that side of the ball if they are able to. Um, Real quickly, let's look ahead to the Jets game this weekend. Uh, you know, no, obviously we don't know too much about what the Jets are going to be other than, you know, what they were on paper and, and what they've added. And frankly, I think they're constructed not unlike the Browns. You know, they're constructed with a defense that's intended to control the game. They're going to try and run the game, run the ball behind a strong offensive line. They're going to try and get their mediocre veteran quarterback in good positions where he doesn't have to make bad decisions and hurried throws. Um, I think the difference, the main difference I would see, there are two really. I think when the Jets are, are totally whole, I think they're a little more talented on both sides of the ball. Um, you know, look, they've got defensive linemen when they're there that I think are a little bit better than the guys the Browns have. They've got Darrell Revis and, and Crow out on the outside, which, look, Revis is better than Hayden. Sorry. And, uh, and they've just got a good group. But the Browns have a really nice group back there, too. The main difference to me is when you get to the offensive side of the ball and you look outside and they're, they've got Brandon Marshall and Eric Decker out there, two big uh, physically gifted guys, one of whom has dominated for a long time in this league. And I just think they're in a little bit better position to put up points than the Browns offensive offenses. But I think they're, they're two teams that are going to play a similar brand of football and it's going to be an ugly, you know, 
week one kind of bruise fest and, and whichever team makes fewer mistakes and doesn't turn the ball over is probably going to win it. Yeah, I agree with that. But another thing I will say is I think this game, you know, with the suspension of um, with Sheldon Richardson, right? Because isn't he out for this game? Yeah, that's my understanding. I, that's what I was alluding to. Yeah. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Yeah, so with him out, you know, I think the Browns might have an advantage in the trenches because I would take the Browns' offensive line over the Jets' offensive line. I mean, there's not many offensive lines I would take over the Browns right now just with the way that they are constructed and the way they played last year. And then D-line, I mean, it seems that right now, I mean, the Browns' D-line isn't great. They have some guys that are unproven, but, um, I mean, Leonard Williams, at least from what I understand, didn't exactly show much in the preseason. Well, I don't think he's healthy either. I don't think he's healthy. He's he's just now getting back to the field. Yeah, so I'm not expecting him to make a difference at all, at least so far. I mean, he's a rookie. When he's on the field, they'll probably run down, you know, they'll probably push him around quite a bit. I don't expect him to ever be a great pass rusher, to be honest. Um, Muhammad Wilkerson's obviously a stud, but, I mean, you can – if and also they do have Damon Richard or Damon Harrison. That's right, yeah, the nose tackle who's very good. So they do have two guys that are difference makers on the D-line, but, I mean, I think – the Browns have a chance to win this game in the trenches if they can just run the ball and then stop the run, which I think obviously that's what they're going to try to do, uh, stopping the run. Couldn't do it last year, but that's been their focus all offseason long with everything that they've done defensively. So um, I think the Browns have a good chance in this game. I mean, they're going to have to force some turnovers from Fitzpatrick, but I mean they have the defensive backs to do it. And uh, I'm very excited to see – um, the biggest thing I'm excited to see, which I didn't really talk about before, but the, the biggest thing this year is can they get pressure with four guys? You know, right. up front, if you can defeat blocks and get pressure with four guys and drop seven into coverage, that does so much for you as a defense. And, um, you know, two years ago, that was what Pettin was able to do with the Bills. And I think they, they like led the league in sacks and interceptions or right. something. They were at least like top one or top two. And, you know, they're, they're trying to get the guys to do that in Cleveland right now. So, you know, can the Browns defeat blocks up front with four guys? Are they going to be able to drop seven? Because if they have to dr- bring five, um, I, I don't think they'll have to bring six to bring pr- pressure, but you just never know. But if they can defeat blocks, get pressure with four, force Fitzpatrick into some, you know, tough situations when it comes to, you know, third and eight, third and seven, third and nine, you know, third and longs, that is going to be the difference in the game, in my opinion. I think it'll be close, but um, I think Browns have a chance. You know, they have a very good chance in this game, and, and the next two also, to be honest. I agree. Uh, get, your, get your prediction ready, man, because I'm going to come to you back in just one second. I want to I give a little foreshadowing. I'm also going to include on the tail end of our conversation, uh, a conversation that I'm going to have a little later with Jeff Capolini, who is Green Lantern Jet on Twitter. Uh, he's a producer in New York, CBS. Uh, he's my go-to, one of my go-to voices on, on all things Jets. And uh, it's been forever since I talked to him, so I thought this would be a good opportunity. So please, everybody, stick around for that after Brendan and I are finished here. Uh, all right, you're going first, sir. Your first prediction of 2015, the Browns and the Jets. The score will be? I'll go with 17-14 to 14 Browns. I think they'll start off this season with a win. It'll be one of the first times since 1999, I think. You know, they haven't won many. but <laughs> I think they've won um, one I in just, that stretch. <laughs> yeah, so that 
that is my point. So I think, you know, 17-14 Browns, I think, the, like I said before, I think the, they will control the, the lines and the trenches, and I think Josh McCown will do enough. You know, he'll throw an interception or two, but I think he'll do enough, and the offensive line and run game will really dominate. And I, I think Duke Johnson will be a difference maker. That's just I'm predicting that. I think from week one, on, I think he'll step in and he'll be a playmaker for this offseason for this uh, offense. They're they're going to need him to. I'm with you. I think they have a chance to win the game, and I'm obviously going to predict that they will. I'll call it 20 to 17 myself. That's probably way too much scoring for this pair of teams. Um, but I, I'm excited to see the front on both sides of the ball get after it because that's that's how they were doing it early last season, and uh, hopefully that will be the case again. All right. Next part of this podcast will be my conversation with Jeff Capolini. Brendan, good talking to you, man, and we'll, uh, we'll do it again next week. Sounds good, man. Take care. All right, we're pleased to be joined here on the first episode of this 2015 season of the Browns and Oak podcast by my good friend Jeff Capolini who you can and should be following at Green Lantern Jet on Twitter. He's got the uh, the Breaking Bad avatar with the uh, the Jets hat on top. He's a columnist and editor for CBS New York. How's it going, man? It's going really well. How you doing? Um, I'm excellent. I Like I was telling you, I'm about to grill up some steaks here and catch up with uh, the rest of the country on Patriots-Steelers. As, as luck would have it, of course, the poor uh, planning of the local school district placed back-to-school night tonight. So I, was, uh, I just scrambled home from the quickest version of that that I could allow myself, and, uh, and I'm ready to watch some football and eat some steaks. So I wanted to... Your, your your tax dollars hard at work. Yes, friend. indeed, and and poorly used, <laughs> obviously. But uh, actually, the schools are great here. I shouldn't say that. I'm quite pleased with them. But the uh, the weekend coming ahead, specific to this podcast anyway, features the Jets hosting my Browns. And since you are my go-to on all things Jets, I wanted to have you on and talk about it. You know, I as I look at this game, I feel like they're two teams similarly constructed, although I would place the Jets, uh, uh, you know, a notch, maybe not a huge notch, but a notch ahead in terms of overall talent. I think most, most notably, really, it's on the on the outside, on the offensive side of the ball. And then I would I would give, you know, when when the Jets are whole anyway, I think their defensive line is as good as there is in the NFL, and the Browns are still trying to build that. But what I see is you've got a couple of teams built around their their lines on both sides of the ball. They've got veteran quarterbacks that most of the world views as mediocre and. Uh, they're going to try and run the ball, limit the mistakes, or limit the you know difficult decision making for the veteran quarterbacks. And then on the defensive side of the ball, um, you know they're both going to be aggressive. They've both got secondaries that are highly touted, and uh, the Browns, with the additions of Danny Shelton and and Starks and and Xavier Cooper, they think they're going to be a lot better up front. So I think what they're trying to do is fairly similar. Um, have I have I adequately assessed the Jets, or am I am I maybe missing a few things? Oh, I think uh, you pretty much summed it up well. I, I wouldn't expect this to be a high-scoring game by any means, but I think, Mike, you know, if Rex was still coaching the Jets, I think it would be a lot more intriguing because he'd have the whole Mike Pettin factor and, and whatnot because he would know, you know, some of what the Jets are going to do. But right. uh, with Chan Gailey there now and as offense coordinator and with Todd Bowles, who, you know, everybody – raves about Todd Bowles and as the Jets fan is you know skeptical um he they he or she needs to see before they're willing to accept 
what people say. So Todd Bowles, though he has a great resume and though, you know, he should do this or he should do that, Jeff has got to see it before that, before they'll even begin to want to, you know, believe that he could be the guy. So I personally think Todd Bowles is a great addition to this team. I mean, I think his philosophies on defense are off the charts. He's going to bring, he's going to bring the house. He's going to switch things off. And, and he has that, um, he has the personnel now, I think, that you need to stop high-flying offenses in the NFL since it's such a passing league. He's got the big defensive line, very athletic. They're going to try to, you know, they're going to try to uh, win the point of attack. They're going to try to be in the backfield all, all game long, and they're going to put those corners out wide, and they're going to let them be physical against receivers. So, you know, whoever is starting quarterback for you guys is going to have to make quick decisions. And, you know, you have Reeves. <laughs> I wish I could you have tell Reeves. you. I wish I could tell you it was someone other than Josh McCown, and not because I think Johnny Manziel would be any better, but um, yeah, yeah, it's going to be Josh McCown, and I, I honestly, think I heard it's going McCown to be, today. I heard McCown today. Yeah, it'll be McCown for the year, um, I think. So, you know, I, I don't, you know, I think, I think the fact that it's McCown and the fact that you don't have Josh Gordon, you know, I think that plays right into what the Jets are going to try to oh, do. Oh, sure. Um, and the fact that you know, but then again, the Jets aren't going to have Sheldon Richardson. And that's something we should talk about. You know, he is suspended for the first four games for film drug test. Right. And he could be out even longer thanks to his alleged, uh, you know, street racing incident in Missouri. Wasn't a great, about, you know, wasn't a great look, news-wise. <laughs> no, it wasn't a great look. And in fact, the, the whole offseason, it started out so beautifully with all these players coming in and money being spent and a whole, you know, positive vibe. And it was just, it just went off the rails real fast. And Bowles did a good job of bringing it bring it back under control. He said the right things. He did the right things by cutting, you know, cutting Ed and Polly after he, after he, uh, you know, punched Gino in the face and that whole ridiculousness that that was. And, and, uh, you know, he, he made, he's been making Sheldon Richardson work with the second teamers, you know, as if practice, we're preparing as if, you know, we're not going to have you. So why right. pretend you're even here? Right. You know, it just sends a message. And I hope that that's something that continues because accountability has been a real problem with the Jets for a long, long time. I, I would agree you know, with Rex that. Is, <laughs> Rex has been a, Rex is a players' coach, and he he let the inmates run the asylum. And we, I, I love Rex. I'm not gonna say that you know, Rex, but at the same time, there were things that he did that just he wasn't able to reel things in when 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 things went off the rails. And, right. You know that that always leads. And in New York, you know, all you need is one or two things to go badly. And then if you're not a team with an with an acumen with a reputation for being, um, you know, able to control your own destiny and do the right things. The Jets are never known for doing the right things. So, therefore, it's hard to ha- ever give them the benefit of the doubt. Now, as we were, we were saying before, um, I think potentially you're going to see the Jets. They're going to come. They're going to bring a house at McCown. Um, it's going to be hard to run the football against them. I think most teams are going to struggle. Because without Sheldon Richardson, they are going to have uh, uh, Williams. He, you know, sixth pick in, in the draft. Yeah, Leonard he looks like the real deal. Yeah, oh, he's, he he's like a monster. The, he's a monster. I've been yeah, watching him for years so, at SC. I think I think putting him next to next to Muhammad Wilkerson with Damon Harrison in the middle, who is one of the more underrated uh, mm-hmm. tackles in the game, and mm-hmm. he's going to be a free agent. He's going to be playing for everything. You know, you got that. But the Jets, I think, defensive line they're going to be good. Uh, outside corners, they'll be good as long as Cromartie is, you know, he, as long as he, he refocuses his game a little bit. And then they got Buster Screen from you guys. 
Right. Who, good who, player. You know, well, I, I, I haven't seen much of him, but I've heard a lot of good things have been said about him. Um, Look, you'll like his effort. So, he'll, he'll, he'll have underwhelming yeah. results at times because he is, he's you know, play, he's limited he's from a size he's a, perspective. Yeah, he's, he's a he play, makes, He's an aggressive he, player. I like that. Yeah, he makes plays. He makes plays, and he he's going to be asked to play the nickel. So and he has no fear. He, he's not afraid. Right. Ever. You're not going to you're not going to see him. You're not going to see him matching up with with ones and twos. You're going to see him in a slot. You right. know, you're going to see him in passing situations. But it's it's and then you have Gilchrist, they got from the Chargers through free agency to play safety, and you have Calvin Pryor, who had a very who's been disappointing since being drafted in the first round a couple years ago. So you know, it's just. I think defensively it's going to be it's a work in progress for all facets of the Jets, but that I think will be the most up to speed when we see it on Sunday. Right. The Jets you, offense is you know Jets offense is just you yeah. Know, give me I, give me give me one more question have, on the defense before we get to the offense because sure. I want to ask you sure, sure, two sure. two specific ideas because look the Browns are going to yeah. try and run the football that they won't quit trying to run it so there are going to be two right. things they try and do to you on offense number one is run it. And so I guess my question is, if you were going to run the ball on the Jets, where would you try first as, like, the best point of vulnerability? And then number two, how do the Jets defend the screen game? Because the Browns have been talking about how much they're going to use their running backs in the pass game. And I would imagine that in this game they're going to have no choice because I'll just tell you, they don't have a wide receiver that can do anything with any of your first two corners. And then, you know, it'll be interesting to see the matchup with Buster Screen specifically on a couple of the quicker receivers the Browns have in the slot. But outside, I don't think there's going to be anything happening. So I'm looking inside yeah. in the pass game. Yeah, you're going to struggle. You're going to struggle to stretch the field. Vertically, it's not going to be, it's going to be a challenge. I, I think – um, if you're using the running backs out of the backfield as receivers, that could be a good way of, of approaching this because the Jets have had problems covering receivers out of the backfield. They've also had problems covering tight ends, and that has a lot to do with the fact that their their linebacking core is a question mark. They do have David Harris, but David Harris is you know they play a three four, so he's on the inside along with the Mariano Davis. David Harris um, is not going to be responsible for covering people. You're going to have guys like I mean, you're going to have guys like. Calvin Pace sometimes, and you're going to have guys like Quentin Culpels who are not, you know, these guys should have their hands in the dirt and going after the quarterback, but sometimes they're going to draw back in coverage, and that's that's a scary thought. Um, you know, and the guy to watch is Demario Davis. He's athletic. He's He had 116 tackles last year, but it was the quietest 116 tackles you'll ever see. He has a lot of ability, and the fans love him because he's a real he's a real team guy, it's, and he's got a ton of ability. He needs to become uh, for the Jets, their their go to guy, their linebacker for the future. And because Harris, they brought Harris back out of fear more than anything else. The guy's 31, 32. They gave him 15 million guaranteed, 21.5 over three. I mean, that's a lot of money to give a guy that age. You know, it just yeah. it just is. Even though linebackers can play later yeah. and longer, but that you know, it's it just goes to show that they were concerned. Right. And so linebackers are an issue, and see how you can exploit them. Um, well, that'll be interesting then, because running the, you're, you're running talk- the football. I mean, yeah, go ahead. If I if you're running football, you know you might want to you might want to try to uh, sweeps might work. I mean, out the middle is not going to work. Yeah, okay. you know what I mean. You, yep. Because if you seal the if you seal the edges, I mean, there's a chance that you can throw off some gains. But 
for the most part, I think. Yeah, that, I think they'll run that stretch be, play a lot. That's that, that you know they they were they, they were awfully adept at that last year. They were pounding people all over the place for the first several games when they at least had Alex Mack at center before he got hurt, and they were just running the ball all over yeah. everybody. So I, I would imagine they'll try and run that stretch outside with Isaiah Crowell, and then like we're talking about, dumping it off. And, and the tight end, they kept four tight ends, and it's been a big part of their offense in the preseason. So we'll, we'll, we'll see. Um, you, you know, know I, I wonder I wonder ahead. this, though. I wonder, I wonder this. Um, it's going to depend, because I know, I know the Browns are improved defensively, so, at least on paper. So I think... You know the scoreboard is going to dictate what Petten wants to do, and as long as it's a low-scoring, close right. game, he's going to keep. He's going to be deliberate about trying to continue to run the football and keep the Jets honest. No doubt, and, and I'll um, tell you, they were even down three think, touchdowns in a game last year, think, and they kept running. So I think they keep running no matter what. Yeah, I think you know that's why the pressure's on the Jets. I mean, on, on their offense, it's on guys like it's on it's on Ryan Fitzpatrick. Yeah, because I mean, do I mean? I, I'm well, I'll tell you. I'll tell offense. you. I'll tell you where it is. It, it, the question yeah. remains about the Brand, Browns' defense, whether the additions of Shelton and Starks and so on are going to stop sure. the run because they were terrible. They ended up last year 32nd in the league stopping the run. And, I, you know, there's a caveat there because there were injuries all over the place and there were problems. But, hey, 32nd is 32nd. It's bad. Right. So, now, you know, they, the, but the, reason... the big addition to Shelton is the thing there. He's been controlling the line of scrimmage all preseason. So we'll see how that translates when he's going up against Nick Mangold in a, in a game that matters. Right. The one thing the Jets have been able to do ever since Rex Ryan was he came on in 2009, and now with Bowles, he should do again. It, it appears that they they'll have they will make concerted efforts to run the football, and they have enough capable running backs to you know really pound opponents. Their offensive line, as far as a run blocking unit, isn't bad. Um, Nick Nick Mangold is you know he's the best he's probably the best center in the NFL. If not the best, he's one of the best. Uh, other than that, they have a lot, they have question marks. Believe it or not, um, the Brickishaw Ferguson is coming off a down season. Even though he's never missed a game, and he's going into his tenth season, and he was a three-time Pro Bowler, but he hasn't done anything in the last three years. Really, his game has kind of went down a little bit. So, his, the concern will be: Will that guy, you know, recapture what he once was? Because they're going to need him because he's he's going to be protecting uh, Fitzpatrick's blind side, and he's going to be vital to opening holes for Changeley's offense. As far as Actual backs, Chris Ivory to me is one of the, is one of the key players for the Jets this whole season. I mean, I, I wrote a column the other day and I didn't mention him, but I thought about it more and more because I was thinking along along the lines of of you know trying to split, trying to bring up different aspects of things that we didn't already know. Well, it looks like with Chris Ivory, this is a guy who's never had a thousand yards, but he's also a guy who's never been truly the workhorse back, though he had he runs. Like he, he he runs with the ball like he'll never run with it again. You know he makes every play. He tries to run every play as if it's his last. It's he pounds the ball. He's got breakaway speed. He can do it all. But the Jets tend to spread the wealth around when it comes to the back. So you're going to see Bilal Powell. You're going to see Zach Stacy a little bit, who was impressive in the preseason, albeit against second teamers. But he, you know he's he's got ability. He had ability with the Rams. You know with the Rams, he he had a pretty good season with the Rams before he kind of fell out of favor. So, uh, Ivory is a key. I think that, you know, the Jets go, they have to do what they can to make sure this guy carries the ball 20 times a game. And as far as, you know, um, the quarterback situation, I mean, it's, it's the worst kept secret in, in the world. <laughs> you know, the Jets haven't had, there was a stat yesterday that um, one of our, my colleagues, uh, Force Associated Press released that the Jets since 1976, which was the last year that Joe Namath was in tub, um, they've had, 
28 starting quarterbacks in 39 years. That should tell you everything you need to know about that why the Jets have not. That sounds awfully familiar as a Browns if, fan. Yeah, I know. I know. You, if, if there's one team out there that would understand that, it'd be the Cleveland Browns. Yeah, no and, doubt. And I understand that completely. But that's the biggest problem with yeah. the Jets is that what it takes them to do, other teams do in 30 seconds, it takes them a, right. 10, it takes them a 15 play well, drive. It's like you they know, say, it's, it's a quarterback it's, league, right? It's a quarterback league, and the Jets just haven't had a quarterback. Now, Geno Smith this year even though he, he was inherited by the new regime of, of Bulls and Mike McCannon, GM, um, he was still the best option, you know, just because people don't give up their franchise quarterbacks. And, you know, they're impossible to find a free agency. And, and, and the draft one, forget about it. You know, it takes forever. And if you don't have the right pick, you're just not going to get it. Right. But they made the trade for Fitzpatrick, which I thought was a smart trade at the time because, you know, He's played for poor teams, and his career as a starter, he's like 33-55-1, which kind of screams that he's not that, you know, he's not that, you know. He's perfect he for Gailey in my mind, though. Yeah, he's a good game manager, and, you know, he could do things. But the thing is, he didn't play for good teams. And the, if you look at his – last year he had 17 TDs and 8 interceptions for Texas before he broke his leg in Week 12 or Week 13, whichever it was. He was having a very good season, and, he, and it just so happens that he had receivers to throw to. I mean, he had DeAndre Hopkins and he had Andre Jones. You know, I mean, it was, it was, it was a good setup for him. And he had Arian Foster in the backfield before he got hurt. You know, so if you put guys around him, he's capable. And the thing is, um, his best seasons—he had a, a three-year stretch from 2010 to 12 where he was, you know, he started in Buffalo. And Chan Gailey was the Jets' offensive coordinator. Now was the head coach, and they used the same offense they're using now. So he's already got a leg up. And the right. thing was in Buffalo, all he had really, as far as receivers went, was Stevie Johnson who, you know, his flames out since, but he was good in Buffalo for, for a few years. Now the Jets have, you know, Brandon Marshall, and they have Eric Decker, and um, they have Jeremy Curley, who, you know, is deceptive. I mean, he, he, he could be a lot better as a slot receiver. He played for the Patriots. He'd be incredible. But, you know, it's the Jets, so you never really know how good, it, how good right, the guy is. Right. So we're going to see. I mean, I think the Jets have done a good job putting enough talent around whoever the quarterback is at any particular time that there shouldn't be excuses. I mean, these quarterbacks are capable. If Gino ends up getting back in there for some reason, the, the perfect scenario for the Jets, considering their personnel, is for Gino to be the guy because he's, he's the better athlete. He has more, way more upside. You kind of know what Fitzpatrick is. But Fitzpatrick is seasoned. He makes smarter decisions. Yes, he does turn the ball over too. But not in the ridiculous fashion that Gino Smith has people turn the ball over. And his jaw now, is so, intact, Jeff. Yeah, we're not gonna. I don't think we're gonna see Gino. I mean, I don't think Gino's gonna threaten to take the job back for at least three games, yeah. maybe four. Um, but you know, if if Fitzpatrick plays well, I think I don't want to say that the Jets don't want to use Gino and that they're looking for an excuse not to play him. I think they'll play. They play me if they, if they gave them a, <laughs> a great better chance to win. Right. But I think if they if Fitzpatrick is playing well, you know, it's gonna take. He's gonna have to stink it up for Gino to get to get his job back. Yeah, and that'll be a few weeks until he gets healthy. Tell me about, before yeah. we go real quick, because I, I, like I say, I, uh, I left the thing burning down there, and I've got, uh, I've got a lim <laughs> limit on the podcast. Tell me, your, uh, tell me your prediction for the weekend's game. I think I, you know. I, we will not you know, be insulted funny, when you pick the Jets. I got a couple rules. A couple rules I live by. One, you never choose the Jets in a knockout pool. You know, no matter who they're playing, because I've seen it over the years that they just tend to lay an egg at the worst possible time. But I did pick them this week, and which was a mistake probably, but eh, I'll live with it. But I think the Jets, I think the Jets are going to win this game. I think it's going to be an ugly game. 
Uh, I think it'll be a, a fairly low-scoring game. But I, I could see the Jets winning this game in the neighborhood of 20 to 10, something like that. Yeah, I think, this, I think it's going to be that kind of game for sure. If the Jets don't win this game, let me tell you something. If the Jets don't win this game, it'll be a disaster. Because they go to because next week they go to Indianapolis, and then yep. they, got the, they got the Eagles. Yep. You know what I mean? I do. So you got to win one game here. You have to be four. You have to be two and two after the first four weeks to just have even a, a prayer. And if they're you know if they come out of the gate and they're all in three or whatever, you know you might as well forget it. And they'll be calling for everybody's head. So well, we got a similar situation in Cleveland. I'll tell you that. I'm I'm looking forward yeah. to it, man. I appreciate you joining so, me again, Jeff. Hey, anytime you give me a call, I'm there for you. You know it's going to happen again soon. That's Jeff Capolini, everybody. He's from CBS in New York, columnist and editor there. Please follow him at Green Lantern Jeff. At, excuse me, Green Lantern Jet. Jeff, good talking to you, man. Hey, thanks a lot, my man.